Welcome back to week two of the I Need It Titled podcast. Today in episode 18, yes, 18, you'll find out later in the episode why this is episode 18 and not 99 that you may have expected perhaps. I talk with a lovely professor at the Boca Raton campus who loves the smell of fresh cut grass and finds the sound of falling rain relaxing. It was raining outside when I was speaking with her, but I wasn't able to capture the sound of the rain too well. So I found a royalty-free track online. I hope you don't mind. She does a fantastic job of introducing herself, so I'll let her take it away. Hello there. How are you? Good. Let me make you louder. Nice to meet you. Pleasure's all mine. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good. You're really set up in your house, huh? <laughs> it's not really set up. So I, I was going to do this in the intro, but I guess I might as well do it now. Oh, okay. Um, it, so this is the microphone um, that seems to make people think that, you know, it, it's a fancy thing and that I have a, a pop filter that I got for a couple of dollars. And <laughs> because it's hanging from the ceiling or attached to some contraption from the desk, oh. it, it gives the uh, incorrect and inaccurate representation that, you know, I have worked in radio before, or that I should. So it, it's not anything fancy. It just looks uh, fancier than it perhaps well, ought to. The, the, you look you look the part. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, well, today we're talking with Helena. Is it Helena or Helena? Helena. Helena, I knew that. Um, you got how do you pronounce your last name? Zacharis. Okay, so I was going to... I was planning on a Game of Thrones pun all night but I, I guess i'm gonna leave that alone since it doesn't round with or rhyme with dracaris <laughs> maybe it does i don't know are you a game of thrones fan i am not i think i'm oh. one of the only people yes you're one of the three people that haven't watched one of it the yet. three so it's me and a few others but um no i never even put an episode on i, I would stay away from it i watched <laughs> the first season the night before my physics final i i just couldn't stop, and it was not healthy. I ended up getting an A on the final, but oh. I, I started at, I think, probably 8 o'clock, and I thought, hey, this will be a little break from studying physics. Uh, and I, I said, okay, one more episode. That was really good. And then the second episode like sucks you in further, and then you go for the third episode, and then soon enough, it's 5 a.m., you finish the first season, and you're yelling at your, your couch saying, <laughs> that should not have happened. Or Anyhow. Um, tell me about yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Some people wrote in after the first one and they said, well, we didn't really care about what Nat did. Uh, okay. Not to say that they didn't care, but they were more interested in about where he grew up and uh, oh, okay. if he has family members. So tell me, well, anything you wish to about yourself. Sure. So my name is Helena Zakaris. Um, I have worked at Palm Beach State for over 15 years, which we can get back wow. to. Yeah. Um, that makes me feel worse. No, <laughs> I uh, am first generation Greek American, but my father's from Greece. My mom is actually from England, but we kind of grew up with the Greek culture. Mm -hmm. um, so going to Greece every year, um, you know. Did you grow um, up here or in Greece? Um, I grew up actually in New York. Okay. Um, so in in New York City for so I was about five, and then we moved to a suburb outside of New York City called Westchester County, which um, 
it was a great place to grow up. And then sure. I moved down to Florida, which a lot of people were doing like in the 90s and went to high school here and then went to college here. Um, so what else about my parents and my family? Um, my dad owned restaurants like many Greeks do in New York. Mm -hmm. And then he moved down here and um, opened a few restaurants. I have an older brother. Um, and I have a almost three-year-old son who is named after my father. That's what you do um, when you're Greek. <laughs> Everybody has the same name. Sure. And um, so my son's name is Stephanos, and he's adorable. But uh, other than that, I went to FAU for my bachelor's, and I was never what one of those... What did you study? Yeah. I was never one of those people who always knew what they wanted to do. Sure. I. I was always envious of people who, you know, I want to be this and went to school and did that. And I was always kind of like, oh, this is interesting and this, and I never really could figure it out. And it was very frustrating uh, for me. And I was a psychology major. And then I remember taking some class, I think it was called bio biological basis of brain behavior or something around along those lines. And I, was like I am definitely not a science major <laughs> oh my god so I remember breaking down to my mom and saying mom how do I what do I do you know I don't know if I can do this like I, and what I, was that what was that conversation like if you don't mind sharing was she supportive to, I was, or um, I was at my mom's dining room table crying because I felt like I had just wasted um so much time in school and sure. I in reality, looking back, I think I had only taken like three psych classes. But to me at that time, it seemed like the end of the world. And um, and then my mom was kind of, she's a big pro and con list person. So she made me do a list. And it seemed like if I was going to go the psychology route, I would need to get, you know, a doctorate in psychology or finish um, at least nine years of schooling. And to be unsure just didn't seem appealing. So then we just figured out that I really always liked writing. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll do something with journalism or speaking or, you know, a newscaster or something. I didn't really know. And I majored in communication with the idea that maybe I'll write something somewhere. But I still didn't really know. Um, and then right before I graduated, I got a job. Um, I was an intern at this public relations firm where they had me writing um, articles for resorts all around the Caribbean, Mexico, and it was great. And I was so excited. And I thought, wow, oh, this is fun. I would love to work here. And they offered me a full-time job making, it was just laughable right now. Um, but I'm like, yes, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so without even thinking, I, I said, yes, I signed up for making like, you know, the worst salary on the planet. And then um, I worked there for two years and I felt very grateful to have a position, um, a full time position. I drove down downtown Fort Lauderdale. I got to travel all over the Caribbean, um, bring journalists down and stay at these beautiful resorts. And then one day I was in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and I'm like, this is not what I want to do. What is wrong? Like, I can't. Do you remember the moment or was it just yes. kind of a, a yes. I remember conglomerate of things? Because at, as a PR person, I had to be very on. 
all sure. the time, right? And I kind of compared my boss to um, Meryl Streep in the Devil Wears Prada movie, who you know wanted you to look a certain way. Sure. She was very picky, and um, I don't mind. I love talking to people, but not when it's forced, you know. And I felt that I was listening to this person. I was away from my family in this beautiful place with people that I don't care about. And I just remember looking out into the Pacific thinking, just get me out of here. So I went back to work that uh, next week. And oddly enough, the company was moving to Miami. And I was living in Boca. So I said, I'm not going to drive and uh, I'm going to resign. And I said, I'm going to go back to school. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And my best friend, since I was really young, she told me, um, you know, I, I know somebody who's tutoring at Palm Beach State. You know, would you want to tutor in English? I said, I don't know how to do that. So then I went for an interview. I had to take a diagnostic test, you know, on grammar and things like that. And I remember going back to school. I went to Nova and got a degree. Um, it was like half education and half like more like a multidisciplinary study. So sure. I thought like, okay, maybe I will teach. Um, but I knew I wanted to teach at a higher level. And so uh, while I was going to school, I started tutoring at Palm Beach State. And I just really loved it, like right away. And I had never felt like that in the PR field. Um, I, I couldn't believe that like it was work, just helping students one-on-one -on -one. and then about a year into tutoring um a faculty member um i don't know what happened but left for some reason and the department chair at that time needed somebody desperately so they kind of threw a class at me and i had my credentials at that point and i was like i don't know how to teach what so like i'm only good in one-on-one -on -one, you know and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so I'm too young for this. You know, how am I going to go into a classroom? And I did. And I remember being very uh, intimidated in my first class. Like I thought I was I was being really strict because I thought I I don't know now looking back I maybe I was overcompensating. I'm not sure. sure. But um, I started teaching and I started adjuncting at night, and I really liked it. And then after my first class, when I felt a little bit comfortable. I, I eased up, I, I figured things out. Um, and then I kind of moved up in the SLC world. I always adjuncted, so for like 12 years, but then I became the reading, the full-time reading learning specialist at the Boca campus. And I loved it because I got to help, but also like plan curriculum, work with faculty. And then I still taught at night. And then when I was kind of like I've done everything I can, I applied to be the manager at the gardens campus. So for four and a half years, I was the SLC manager up at gardens. Um, and then I had my son and, you know, when you're a manager, you deal with not always the best things. Um, and I couldn't because I had my son teach and be a manager sure. and I really missed like the students because the only students that ever came to see me were complaining. So there was an opportunity to come back to my home campus at Boca and, you know, try for faculty. And I remember my son was only like 
six months old when I interviewed and I was like in a blur, like foggy. (laughs) I remember everybody asking me questions and I I thought I was answering them, but then I'm like, what just happened? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're so tired. And then a few months, you know, as as it goes at the college, a few months later, I heard that I got the job and I was sad to leave gardens because I do, I love the people I work with, but I was just ready for, um, to, to be back in the classroom, to see students. And I really was craving more time at home in the summer with my son because I thought, you know, I'm never gonna get this back again. Um, so now I just teach summer A and then I have all that time with him, which is great, so. That's my story. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, being the son of immigrant parents, I, I moved to the United States when, on my 16th birthday, in fact, we oh, were landing in our, uh, India. I was born oh. and raised in India. And I remember very clearly my mom just grabbing my hand and my sister's hand and saying, you have to promise to be good. Mm-hmm. That dad didn't bring us here for, for you guys to philander mm-hmm. around. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have to be focused in school whatever you choose to study, you got to stick it out. And then I had, I came to the same crossroads as you did. You know, I was studying computer science at the time and, but I, I didn't take three classes. I was three weeks in and I realized that this is terrible. I don't know how people do this. And this is from someone who was doing like state and national competitions in high school. I really enjoy programming, but you know, when you do it something for fun and for leisure and you're doing it for competing, it, it's a completely different experience than you have a deadline and you have to do this by then. Mm-hmm. And I, I, math was this other thing that kind of hung around in the dark corners or dark recesses of my mind. And I was like, hey, so what What do I do now? <laughs> and I remember my dad being the same. He's an engineer by, by training. And he had the same exact response. Make a pro and con list. Think mm-hmm. about what's going to happen in the next three years and plan it out. And if mm-hmm. you have a plan... We support you regardless of which direction you want to go in. But you, you have to proceed with, with some sort of reasonable level of planning. It shouldn't just be, I'm going to major in underwater basket weaving. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's always, you know, and I try to tell my students this when they're undecided. Like, mm-hmm. It's just trust me, you know. I know what it's like. Don't pressure yourself because the, the, the pressure of trying to figure it out was worse than anything for me, you know, sure. like I was, all my friends were, you know, this major and that major and, and they never wavered on it. And I'm thinking, what, what's, what's my problem, you know, but yeah, it, it really helped me to make that list. And my mom still helps me with everything. <laughs> you know, it's like, you always, you need that. Yeah. So I, I promised that at least I promised myself that I wasn't going to go into pedagogy or mm-hmm. administrative things but since you mentioned this and it's a thread that we share where do you stand on pathways in general uh, in terms of having students and you can choose to decline to, to, to answer the question but um, specifically I'm wondering where you stand on having students come in uh, in particular to our institution and you know pseudo declare a major or declare a pathway and then I hate to use the word stuck, but they're, they're in this pipeline and at least in the conversations that I've had with people uh, that know more about this than I do, it, it's difficult to go from one pipeline to the other. Yeah. So have you had similar experiences or philosophically, where do you stand on that? 
Well, you know, just from experience, I I don't think it's fair to, you know, make somebody decide right off the bat. I mean, we, as you know, we have so many students from all types of not just um, economic and, and diverse backgrounds, but academic abilities. And I don't think pushing them to a major is what they really need when they're coming to us. Um, sure. For me, I teach... Um, sometimes people forget about me, but I teach uh, developmental English and mm -hmm. reading, and I teach English to students of second and third languages. So we call it EAP at the college. So, you know, ESL, what most people know as. And my students who are ESLs or EAP students are um, the most dedicated, the most driven, some are former doctors and lawyers and engineers in their own country and then have to come here and they need to, to change everything because they're older, they don't have the time. Um, and then I have my prep students who are very vulnerable to, you know, staying, um, to having all the other outside pressures, their, maybe their academics in high school or before or even now are not where they should be. So I don't think it's fair to, to, to that group, to those groups, you know, because I'm not even on a pathway <laughs> like the prep and the, the um, EAP. They're not they're not recognized because sure. they're not credit. So we've had this you know discussion in our cluster that you know pushing the students. You know, for me, I'm, I'm always very vocal. I don't think it, um, it would be in our best interest. And then you know you push the student who maybe is paying for this class with their own money. Or the you know school with their own money and then they've taken three classes they don't want to change even if they you know because they don't want to waste the money even if they're not happy in that major so i think that's the beauty of taking the first two years generally um so no i'm not really a big proponent of it um and to the general audience that might be listening this is two for two now so this is not me planning anything in advance so nat agreed with me in the last episode, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the end, but uh, he agreed that green Gatorade is green and not yellow. And my girlfriend uh, seems to incorrectly think that it's yellow when it's not. It's green. And now I have another person that agrees with me on another matter. So this is wonderful. I, oh. I, I love being proven right on multiple occasions, especially back to back. It would be nice if we were asked questions by administration, you know, <laughs> as a faculty. <laughs> you know, our input would, you know, maybe helpfully help make decisions. Here, here. I, mm -hmm. I will raise a glass to that. <laughs> so uh, since Nat got brought up in the conversation, here are some questions that he asked, not knowing that you were going to be the person answering them. Um, the first one I thought was, was pure gnat. Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? Give mm. reasons. <laughs> so I'm Greek and I believe it's a vegetable and it goes in a salad. And I know some people put, people like eat them like, like an apple and it just freaks me out. <laughs> but yes, I believe it's, a, I mean, I guess that's my reason. It goes in a salad. It goes like, you know, in marinara sauce. It, it's just not a fruit. It's not a fruit. I, I, I agree. In India, we have it as part of a salad as well. It's not as, 
I hate to say embellished, but it's not as, as big a production as perhaps a Greek salad is, or at least my perception of what a Greek salad is. Uh, but in India, it's typically cucumber, red onions, and red tomatoes. Then you just chop up, add some salt and pepper, and that's a salad that you have alongside sure. food. Instead of like as a, as a course or a starter by mm -hmm. itself, it, it's typically you know a, a single plate comes in with a lot of this stuff, gets put in the middle of the desk or put in the middle of the table, and then everyone just kind of grabs stuff yeah. as you're eating a meal. But by the way, years, Indian food is my favorite food. Love it. I enjoy it as well, but I, I've found that I've been spoiled by my mom and my aunts and my, my grandparents. Yeah. And that whenever I've tried eating out, the standard is so high <laughs> that it's like my mom could do better. Yeah. And it's free. I don't have to pay for it. I, 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 I could just call her and say, hey, can I have eggplant, please? And she'd be like, when are you coming over? Well, I've been a vegetarian for over 20 years. So for me, Indian food has always been like I can have so there's so much variety for sure. me and you know other types of food i'm kind of like stuck mm -hmm. so yeah just love the flavors and all the spice but just everything i'm obsessed <laughs> it, it's a it's an acquired taste because i, I think the flavor profile maybe if you're greek or you're from the mediterranean region you, you perhaps are used to having something like a sumac or you know yeah. other spices that are indigenous to that area but I found that elsewhere in the world, it, it's definitely an acquired taste, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. But I, I visited... They're missing out. They're missing out. <laughs> I visited Ireland a, a few years ago, and there, uh, you know, we were given the option between an Irish breakfast and an English breakfast at the bed and breakfast we were staying at. And I didn't know the difference, so I said, mm -hmm. well, I'm in Ireland. Why would I want an English breakfast? Okay. So I will have an Irish breakfast. And she said, okay, the host, very kind person said, okay. And then on my plate came a, it wasn't sauteed. It was a quarter tomato that was cooked alongside a scrambled egg. Yeah, grilled so, almost. It, yeah, it was a gr pan grilled or pan, yeah. it wasn't sauteed and it wasn't mushy, but it was just so that, you know, it had some char marks. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Maybe it was because I hadn't had it, but uh, salty and sweet kind of went well together yeah yeah this next one also comes from nat if you could okay. become any animal what would you become and why or oh, which God. would you become and why animal um oh my goodness i have no idea um <laughs> i don't want to say something like a dog i want to say something you know exotic but i i I guess a dog. I don't know. A oh. dog in, in South Florida. A dog in South Florida. Well, very... okay. So now if you were a dog wishing to be some other animal, what would that be? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. No, maybe a, sh a sheep. Not because sheep I follow the crowd. Sheep is exotic? No, it's not exotic. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you, you've I'm led a very sheltered to, life. Just said like ireland i'm not sure because you know they just like seem really calm and sure just graze and they're just slow and seem to enjoy being outside and they're not you know having to chase anything and i, I don't know they, they sheep remind me of the ferris buellers of the animal kingdom <laughs> They just watch life go by and they enjoy every moment of it. And, I think right now, currently, that sounds like nice because there's so much chaos going on. 
I think being a sheep instead of a dog would probably be a better idea. At yes, least... but not because I'm a follower, so I don't want that to you know come across. But... Well, you could be the head sheep. I don't head know sheep, if there is a head okay. sheep, but <laughs> the sheep that points north. Um, the last question that came from Net was, what is your favorite smell and why? Mm, cut grass. That was fast. How, Freshly, how did that come well, because about? it's very much my favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, and and plain toast, like in the toaster oven, um, like the the smell. I don't know, but really, it's cut grass. I don't know why. It just smells to me like very fresh. I can't. And anytime you know they're the gardeners are outside and they they cut the grass, I just love it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. It, <laughs> So fresh grass and, and fresh toast, I guess. I, I don't mm -hmm. know what else to call it. Fresh toast. Yeah. Does it have yeah, to be like inside the toaster or does it have to be out? Like or... as soon as it just pops up. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, I love the, that smell. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, the last question I had was an article. It, it came out as an article that I was, came out of an article that I was reading mm -hmm. uh, recently. It was on uh, how we get trained as uh STEM majors, or when you're a mathematician, what sort of training do you undergo outside of the classroom? So how are you, how do you see other people dress? How do you see other people conduct themselves? How do you see other people attend conferences? And, uh, you know, what, what happens as people get older uh, in disciplines, or maybe they gain seniority, versus what happens when people in the arts get trained, as it were, or maybe, you know, the, the people that you see on a daily basis, your instructors, perhaps, they influence the choices, I think, uh, that you perhaps make later on in life. You've come up as a topic of discussion with other people as someone who seems very well put together. And so I, I wanted to ask you if that well, was a conscious... That? Well, <laughs> I, I, I was... <laughs> told not to mention names, but so I, I won't say that. But uh, would you agree with that sentiment that STEM majors tend to wear T-shirts, as I'm wearing one, and uh, not shave their beards because we like to be comfortable? And uh, the yeah. reasoning in this, uh, I thought, well-written article was that uh, people in STEM fields typically live in dungy labs when they're PhD candidates, or you know, when they're studying a master's program, or even in undergrad, you're, you're living in a dull underlit uh, place, whereas when you're a journalism major, or if you're studying PR or business or, uh, or sociology or history, mm -hmm. I always found that those professors were always well put together, whether it's a jacket or well-coiffed mm -hmm. hair, or even if it's not, you know, the, the unruliness of the hair seemed very I never on purpose. Hmm. I never really um, thought about the difference in disciplines with dress. I, I think I'm a little bit unique um, because if you just look around at the campus, not many of the faculty are super dressed up. Sure. Um, and I remember my first day as a tutor, you know, part time, I came in, in a skirt, a blouse, high heels. And I remember everyone wearing like polos and <laughs> flip-flops and I'm like, what's happening here? Like, this is work. What's, what's going on? And then I slowly started to tone it down. Um, but when I'm in the classroom, I, I 
still dress up. Um, sure. And I know, I don't think it's because I, you know, I'm going to, you know, teach English or, or anything. I think it's just me. I've just always been like that. Um, and I, but if you see me arrive to work, I arrive in flip-flops. I have <laughs> got 10 pairs of shoes underneath my desk and I, I have three blazers and <laughs> I just dress. Um, but yeah, my students, you know, compliment me and then I'm like thinking, is this too much? I don't know, but I, I just like to, when I'm at work, dress up. Sure. Uh, but I don't think it's because of... And, and I didn't, I hope I didn't make you self-conscious oh, no. about this, but uh, the article was talking more about the, the titans of, mm. of, of science... Uh, lecturing. Um, mm -hmm. So people like Richard Feynman, I don't know if you're aware of these names, John Conway, Richard Feynman. Um, there's a guy at UCL and I can't remember his name. He's going to kill me. Uh, but these are people that, you know, were well regarded as excellent teachers. Randy Pausch, another one of those computer science, uh, amazing speakers. Um, they always dressed a certain way, not because they wanted to stand out, but because that was just them. They, yeah, it's just in the, in the mathematical community, they stuck out as, oh, there, Feynman's walking there. In the <laughs> physics community, he stood out because he wore a suit and he, he was an Englishman. So I, I don't know if it's just the fact that these were all European people and, uh, you know, that's why they, they dressed a certain way or I, I don't know. I taught a Friday class this semester. Um, well, I'm still teaching it. Um, mm -hmm. But I I felt like a little bit more casual on Friday. And it was nice because I wore, you know, little sneakers. And But then it, I almost had to get used to being in a classroom in sneakers. Sure. And then I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> like, I was really comfortable. <laughs> but it was almost like... Not me. Sure. But it is nice to, to be comfortable at work because I am getting tired of wearing heels. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just me. Um, but now it's very bizarre sitting to teach and mm -hmm. wearing, you know, bare feet at home. It's so well, no weird. one knows that. People can imagine that I you're know. still wearing heels or, or sneakers <laughs> like or whatever the case might be. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I had to defend my decision to a couple of students uh, recently, and, and mm -hmm. that's why that article caught my eye. And they said, why do you wear shorts, and why do you wear you know, a pair of sneakers? And I said, mm -hmm. well, I have two pairs of shoes. One I wear if my girlfriend tells me to wear them, which means <laughs> you know, we're going out to a wedding or you know, fancy dinner or something or the other. And the other is, is my sneakers. I, I don't have any other pairs of shoes. Uh, or I could wear flip-flops, but I, I think that might be pushing it a bit too far. But we're in South Florida, so maybe if it's raining outside, I could, you know, flirt Correct. with the idea of wearing flip-flops to work. But I found myself very early on that if I wanted to give the best of myself to students, I needed to be able to think. And I envy other people that are able to do that, to do their job well or as equally well, uh, regardless of how they're dressed. So if I'm wearing a suit... I, I'm stuffy. I, I don't mm -hmm. feel myself. The tie is, even if it's not too tight, it's just my motion is restricted. Mm -hmm. I, I can't do the same things that I saw my professors do when I was an undergrad, which was they would walk over, sit next to me, ask me what I was thinking. And in grad school, it was a, it, it was a very freeing experience. Yeah. 
and not the same experience I had in my philosophy classes where, you know, it was the prototypical philosophy professor <laughs> suede jacket and you know, just uh, ready to jump out of a GQ magazine or something. <laughs> but I found that, you know, if I was more comfortable, I was able to think of better questions mm-hmm. and pose better questions when students asked me questions yeah. on something they didn't understand. So instead of just saying, okay, the answer's five or whatever the case might be, well, have you considered thinking about this instead? Mm-hmm. And I envy people that are able to do that in high heels uh, <laughs> or pants or glasses whatever. or whatever it is that they're wearing. I, I find it that I, I think the most restrictive thing that I can do uh, to prevent me from teaching as well as I think I can is just wearing a long sleeve shirt and pants and it's it's terrible yeah you have to be yourself has um have you ever gotten any kind of pushback from anyone at the college for wearing shorts um no but i know that when i started at palm beach state as a full-time faculty so as an adjunct it was sort of you know i i was teaching in the evening so the the department chairs, you know, only saw me when I was being assigned classes or I was turning mm-hmm. in grades or they were in observation mode. Right. Uh, and I know it goes against the rules of modesty, but I had good observations all the right. time. And when I started working full time, I came to school wearing a, a pair of, of iron shorts reasonably colored not the bright neon green sneakers that i typically have but Mm -hmm. they were blue and more subdued and i thought like normal shoes uh and an iron button-down shirt half sleeve shirt but it was ironed i have to keep stressing on the fact that it was ironed that i wasn't looking homeless and and someone said oh you don't have classes today i said no i have i'm going to class right now oh (laughs) <laughs> and I could tell that they, yeah. they were processing the idea that I was wearing shorts and a half sleeve shirt to class. And then it turned into a, a hallway conversation that I had with another instructor who asked me the same question you just did, where, hey, has anyone pulled you aside and asked mm-hmm. you about this? No. Oh, so I can do the same? I was like, well, I don't know if you can pull it off with the same kind of, of fake confidence that I can, but I think people are just used to seeing me around campus right. wearing a pair of shorts. And uh, students hopefully don't complain about that. And even if they do, it's like, hey, yeah. do you want me at my, at my best in my yeah. teaching abilities or do you want me dressed a certain way so you can say, oh, my teacher it's looks the way. Right. Uh, yeah. But, I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting post. Yeah, that is. So why, if, um, if you weren't teaching journalism, and obviously you don't like PR, uh, what else do you see yourself doing? So if you weren't an instructor, uh, this came from actually some of my students. They asked me that, and they said, hey, now you're, since you're starting this podcast, they said, okay, if you weren't teaching math, what else would you be doing? And I didn't have an answer. Do you? I do. I don't know if I... Um can still uh, dream like this, but I would have been um, a backup dancer for some type of celebrity. <laughs> like choreographed backup yeah, dancing at concerts type stuff? I would have loved Holy that. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. How does that, I mean, is there a past so there I, or is it just, you know, I wanted to be He-Man when I was a child. I no, can't I, really do that. I've always really, uh, <laughs> people listening to this are going to think I'm, I don't care. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I always really enjoyed dancing. 
Um, and I, you know, liked all types of dancing, um, hip hop, um, Spanish dancing. Obviously we, I grew up Greek dancing, but you're not going to be a Greek dancer. Um, what does that mean? Greek dance? I, I don't so know. There's Greek just traditional, um, oh, okay. like depending, I'm sure it's the same in India, like depending upon where you're from, that like there's different foods and acts, you know, dialects, but in Greece there's different, um, music and dances from where you're from. So okay. um, my dad is from the mainland and the, the dancing is kind of slower and circle dancing and a lot of clarinet. Um, so I love Greek dancing and music, but if I had to pick a dream career, it would be, you know, like one of Shakira J-Lo's backup dancers at the Super Bowl halftime That's quite intimidating. I don't intimidating. think I would um, qualify for that right now. <laughs> Maybe many years ago. Well, give it a try. I- I'm sure <laughs> if it's something that, you know, instead of adjunct in the evening, now you can dance in the yeah. evening. You only would have to do it once a year. It's a Super Bowl. You yeah. Try fly to wherever it's being my son and i put on like we do like a dance party at night that's that's as close as i'm getting to it right now that's awesome put on like youtube on the tv and just go through um you know little dances (laughs) so yeah that's what's happening uh what's your fondest childhood memory Mm, fondest childhood memory well i had a really good childhood um my parents are great. They're still great. Um, we'd probably say driving to Florida every summer, like many people did. You know, we came mm-hmm. to Disney for vacation and we would go and stop at a lot of states along the way. Um, you know, and at that time you had to play so many games <laughs> in the car. Um, Give me an example of something you played. So with. I we would my I I love spelling. So my mom mm-hmm. would always you know make me spell words against my brother, and he would think it was stupid. So <laughs> I would just win by default. But or we would have to you know I spy. Obviously that was a big one. Um, I remember we would stop like in Washington D.C. and we stopped um, in Amish country and we stopped. We just we would drive and the drive felt like forever but my parents made it really fun and um you know then we got to disney we weren't really we didn't really like disney world though like Mm -hmm. we would rather be at the pool and like in the warm weather and then we would go back in the car they would rent like a big um minivan um so yeah that was a fun childhood memory disney that's two for two as well Nat had well he I think enjoyed more the park but it it makes sense especially if you're from upstate New York Mm -hmm. the warm weather can certainly be an attraction yeah I I went I spent a couple of uh, of wonderful wonderfully cold and frozen years in Rochester New York oh wow that's RIT and Mm -hmm. they had the blizzard of the century in 2005 Uh, the entire town lost electricity and RIT being this tech nerd heaven said Oh, we have our own generators. Come to class. Classes are not canceled. What do you mean? And we had, or not we, but RIT had tunnels underground leading from connecting all the dorms together. Mm-hmm. So you had to walk above ground in the frozen tundra for, you know, I don't know, a quarter mile or a half mile. But then all the academic buildings were on the other side of campus. But they all had tunnels as well. So they said, 
oh, just come here for the day and you can just hang out here, go from building to building on uh, the tunnels and it, it's perfectly fine. We have electricity. Um, I forget the rest of the country sometimes has winter. Yes, or something they have seasons. I forget, you know. We have summer and maybe a couple of days where it's 70 degrees or 65 yes. and the world loses its mind. It loses. Could you imagine our students? <laughs> Going back to the dancing thing you mentioned, how, <laughs> so as a mathematician, or at least as uh, someone who teaches math, I firmly believe that there are no such people as non-math people. So when people say, I'm just not a math person, I can't learn it, uh, it's, it's, okay, challenge accepted, come to my class, and typically mm -hmm. they don't take me up on it, but I, I firmly believe that if you, you talk to someone the right way that you can show them the beauty and the elegance in things that are seemingly dry, like mathematics or chemistry or physics or Nathaniel Hawthorne. I, well, maybe not Nathaniel Hawthorne. I, I don't think I can find any beauty in his work. Sorry. It, I don't know if you're a fan of him, but I think the Scarlet Letter is one of the worst books that I've ever read. But anyhow, do you feel the same way about dancing? Because I feel the exact opposite way about dancing. Oh, I don't that, like, think I can dance. Mm -hmm. But do you feel, as a budding professional dancer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a future Super Bowl backup dancer, yes, you know. do, do you think that people can be taught rhythm? I, I don't know how else to, to ask that question. Mm, I mean, uh, you know, people have rhythm or they don't. Okay, um, that makes me feel better. <laughs> Not that I don't, but well, I don't have rhythm. But now that a dancer has acknowledged it, I don't feel as bad. But about what it. I appreciate is every anybody who just enjoys dancing, dancing. Sure. You know, like I don't care if you're. Um, I mean, not, I'm not saying I'm like the world's best dancer, but when, you know, if you're at a wedding or something and, you know, everyone's on the dance floor, like that's the best thing to see, you know, people just having fun. Who cares sure. who's good and who's not? But um, yes, I think some people are better than others. Sure. And I, I think that there, there should be a bell curve there. People that are excellent dancers as yourself and people that shouldn't be on the dance floor like myself. Oh, and that's okay. Goodness. We all occupy our, our niches <laughs> in the world. I'm sure some other faculty is going to come on and say something way more professional and, you know, well, I, I don't being a backup uh, dancer. <laughs> I'm, I'm choosing people, or at least I, I, I didn't know that that's what you were going to say, but <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'm not surprised that that's what you said. You didn't come off as, you know, this hoity toity person that's, you know, I would be an iron chef. Or, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so two questions. Uh, sure. These came from one of my cousins, and uh, she's quite young at the time, but she said, what is the most beautiful thing in your life? And I kind of think I know the answer, but go ahead. I'll let you take it away. My son. Okay. My son. He's, um, he's a, just the best, <laughs> period. <laughs> All right. That was an easy answer. Yes. And how do you think the, this was weird coming from an 11 year old, but uh, mm. we, we talk quite frequently about the beauty and the elegance of things that don't seem beautiful and elegant. So mathematics, concrete sculptures. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a weird uncle or <laughs> a weird cousin. Um, 
and I start talking to her kids about this stuff now, but uh, she asked, how does the absence of beauty affect people? So not necessarily the absence of your son, but if, well, expanding that question a little more, how do you think the absence of beauty would affect you perhaps? Well, I think like, I don't know if this is going to answer it, but you know, like right now when things are so chaotic, you know, we, he's so young and we go outside and he loves the simple things like feeding the birds. You know, we bring all the bread and extra crackers, birds every day. And, um, we feed the birds or we go for a bike ride. And I did that stuff before, but not every day, you know, it would be like Saturday we'll feed the birds. And I was watching him yesterday and I was thinking like, he's like so happy just doing the most simple thing right on all he wants is to spend time with me that's Mm -hmm. it you know he doesn't need any stores open he doesn't need anything and like when hopefully things go back to normal soon i'm like i don't want to not do this again you know like or rush to do this so i think the absence of time, you know, is like a huge thing right now because we have, we have the time. And I think when you're so busy rushing and, and just doing life, it's just hard to really like sit and enjoy it and not check your phone and, you know, answer an email and this, that, and the other thing. And for me, I think, you know, just seeing him so happy and not aware and being with him is has been kind of the, the only thing keeping me so okay right now because i think um you know there's an innocence in children but he's really at that age where he has no idea what's going on so i think um for me i i just think that if i didn't have that time or or that quality time with him then it, I don't know how I could really like appreciate what's good right now and being healthy and things like that. I don't know if that answers the question. It, it does. Uh, <laughs> it, and now it just prompts a more personal question so mm-hmm. you can choose to mm-hmm. not answer it. But um, moving forward once, you know, August 1st, July 1st, mm-hmm. June 1st, whenever things go back to the quote unquote normal mm-hmm. or the previous normal, whatever that was, right. how do you, um, and this is something that I, I'm struggling with Personally, uh, how do you maintain the good things that have come out of this mm-hmm. unfortunate event? Yeah. Uh, more time spent feeding the birds with your son. How do you have you thought of how you would manage to continue that? Or I don't so know how else I'm, to ask that question. If that I don't know if that question makes sense. Yes. It do does. you have a plan for, or have you considered, or I, you, how I do you know. feel about that? I mean, for me. I'm, I'm one of those people who likes to work at work and Mm -hmm. I like to be home at home. So, um, I go in to the office more than I have to, because I like to, to finish everything great prep. And then when I'm home, I like to just be home. So this current situation has blurred the line so much that I feel like I'm always working or I can't really disconnect. So that to me has really been important before this, you know, like when I'm home, I'm I'm with him. And that was 
really a driving force in wanting to be faculty to be able to take him to Greece in the summers and to sure. really have the time with him because, you know, I had my son later in life. I didn't think I could have him. So I very much appreciate him and that time. So I think when we go back to the quote new normal, um, I need to, to make the time because really what's so important to, to do? Like, I don't have, to, you know, I'm a little bit psycho. Like I have to always have my dishes cleaned and like right away. And I have to have everything, you know, in order, but I don't, you know, and I, I really hope because it's so easy to, to see it now, like, Oh, we need to appreciate time and da, da, da. And then when you get back into it in two weeks, nobody does, nobody, you know, remembers, uh, not nobody, a lot of people. And I, I don't want to do that. I really want to, to be outside. Like you see so many people outside right now, like you've never seen them before. It's like, we've sure. never been able to walk before and I hope it continues. So I'll, I'll try my best to continue feeding birds and, you know, going on more bike rides. Um, you know, it's hard with the daily grind though, you know, juggling everything, but I really think, you know, if I can learn anything, I feel like I'm talking about Greece a lot, but my family over there, they, they're very, very laid back. Like they can't even believe how much we work over here. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's part of the economic situation there, but there's something to be said about just enjoying coffee for hours with a friend. You know, mm -hmm. we don't really do that here. And when I go there, it's like, God, this is so nice to just sit, you know, outside. They take chairs and sit outside. I don't know if it's like that in India, but it like, is. at least in the summer months or mm -hmm. in the evening, late in the evening, in the evening. Uh, you would have tea outside or coffee yeah. or whatever, depending on which right. part of the country you're in. Mm -hmm. So as someone who struggles with maintaining this, and I, I can hear, I don't know if Zalman or Barbara, my department chairs are going to be listening to this, but I can hear them laughing. Uh, I can imagine them laughing right now. <laughs> I am someone who struggles to find a work-life balance, or at least a healthy one, or even an unhealthy one. <laughs> um, and I know that that's likely genetic. My dad is a, he, he is a machine. Mm -hmm. um, and... I don't have even a tenth of the stamina that he does, even at his age. Um, I'm less than half his age at 33, and I don't know how he does it from waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning because he deals with oil tankers that are you know, in China. Um, so he is a technical manager for 56 or some 60-odd of the largest oil tankers in the entire world. So he's, you know, he's pretty up there. He started as a chief engineer on oil tankers and he has wow. risen through the ranks. And professionally, there's nothing higher that he can do in the entire world. There's not a position, there's nothing, you know, that he's More. looking up to. He, he has reached his goals. And I would think that once you get there, you get complacent and just be like, yeah, I, I'm at the top of the mountain. What, what else do I have to do? There's nothing else to climb. And... It's not to say that I'm trying to emulate him, but when I see his example, it makes yeah. me feel guilty for not working at a time when I could. Yeah. And that translates into a very, it's not even blurred. I, I don't know where work life starts and where home life stops or you know, where the transition is. So do you have advice for, for someone mm -hmm. like me or myself in particular on how to maintain that balance better? I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I mean... 
outside of just do it. <laughs> I think that's great about your dad. And that's probably why you're, you know, that way. My dad, the same, he came here with nothing and worked very hard. And I think work ethic is such a great quality. I think it's one of the best qualities somebody can have really. Um, and I, I judge people on their work ethic, really, you know, are you really going to be here and come to work and, and do the best that you can and, and leave exhausted, like everything hurts and you, you really gave it your all. Um, but I, I think, you know, you told me that how many um, classes you have and you're very busy and now this, um, I think you have to, and, and whatever it is you, and if you like it and you're happy, but if you feel like certain things are, you know, not getting the most of your time, mm -hmm. I think you need to set aside some time every day or one day off like Sunday or Saturday <laughs> and then don't do anything. Don't even check um, your email. I, I, I'm one of the few people that do not have email on my phone. Um, Palm Beach State email. All right. I, you know, if I was, you know, a dean, provost, yeah, but I don't think anything is that urgent. Sure. Um, and my students have remind, uh, but I set it with office hours, and I, even though I get an alert, I don't respond until it's office hours. How, okay, so how do you turn that off in your brain? That's just, the yeah. true question. I just, I just. <laughs> I look at it and then sometimes I'm like, do they not see the alert that says office hours? <laughs> they still send it to me, you know? Um, I just do because I, and but I'm very, I'm a, a, a something that many people don't know about me. I've never had any social media. I've never opened any type of social media in my life. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that like thing to check my phone a lot like that a lot of people are inclined to you know look on facebook or instagram or whatever twitter i don't have that so i don't even understand it really so for me it's stay very, that way my dad yeah, is, is infinitely happier Stone. never had never had social media, social media. <laughs> but for me i think i think you have to because sometimes you don't even realize that it's not good for you that you're constantly on the computer but you know like today i'll be grading a lot and then it will physically drain me and exhaust me you know and so you really need to decompress so i don't know what it is what that means for you i know you're happy doing your job but i think you should give yourself a half a day start with a half a day off <laughs> I'll, I'll try to negotiate that and just myself. like or shut off notifications on your phone I did do that. I have notifications okay. shut off. And I, I uh, that was one of those things. And I think turning off, I, I read another one of these papers that said turning off notifications and turning off your battery indicator on your phone mm. seemed to reduce cortisol levels in you know, this population that was studied. Uh, yeah, so if you just see, you know, your battery indicator that has this much battery left, you know that, you know, that's plenty of battery. You don't need to know that it's 47%. Yeah. Oh, I don't versus have that. when it's that, well, well, you need to go charge your phone or don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. do stuff with it if you need it as an emergency uh, tool. I also uh, have, um, I got a computer from the college mm -hmm. and then I have my personal computer. And even though we're on my personal computer now because it's better with Zoom, 
I use my work computer just for work. Like it's just like right. work. And this is like, oh, if I want to go on Amazon <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I try to do a good job with it. Because then you're just always distracted. I envy you. I, I envy <laughs> you and everyone else that, that's able to. And I know I've had, uh, this came up somehow, I think, with Zalmond. And he mentioned this, something similar where he said, you know, that, that's work time and this is not work time. And we didn't delve deep into it as, as much as we did now. But uh, it's something that I know I have to work on, um, especially with personal relationships. My mom sometimes, you know, sends me an email saying, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. And are you alive? Is everything okay? Because she, being the Indian mother, the stereotypical Indian mother, immediately thinks that I've been kidnapped by a murderous <laughs> zombie horde. Yeah. And, you know, if I haven't contacted her in 48 hours, mm -hmm. the FBI are at my door about, yes. why haven't you contacted your mother? I think my head goes to that place too. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if it's just the fact that it's the mother's brain, but... It's always gone to that place. I think it's just being, I don't know... I'm not sure what it is, but yeah. I never think like, oh, that person might be busy. Might be busy or might be doing <laughs> no, something. There's no... They're dead. Yes. They're, they're kidnapped and they're <laughs> dead and there's a ransom on their severed <laughs> head. The last question, uh, I, I, I'm sorry I took so long. Time passes when I you have I didn't even realize. Um, the last question that I, at least I had written down, and then I guess it's, it's up to you as to whatever you want to talk about. Uh, what is the most challenging job you can think of? Oh. And I think I maybe know the answer to this, but, or at least I know what the answer would be for me. Oh, well, right now I'm thinking of, you know, the doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. Um, I uh, guess when things, I, I, think I, I when things, yeah, it's hard to, to, to think about it before, but I think teaching and being a mom are the hardest jobs <laughs> and I have both of them. Um, I don't think people realize what it is to teach, you know, all the things you have to think about. And uh, I care a lot about my students and what happens to them. And um, I have that pressure to, to see them succeed. And I also, but I, I think the hardest job is being a mom. I really do. Um, you know, a few years ago, I, I, that would not have been my answer, but it's very exhausting. You know, you said in your response to me, the toddler's like seven classes. I was about to bring that up, that, that the exchange rate for toddlers uh, under four years of age is seven I'm gonna courses. Tell, I'm going to tell my dean. <laughs> it, it's seven five-credit courses. And mine is very um, energetic and uh, doesn't like to sit still. Mm -hmm. He loves everything. Um, he's full speed ahead at all times. And, you know, you're just like, oh my God. And you just keep going and going and going. And only when you sit, like right now, mm -hmm. do you feel, oh, I think I'm tired. <laughs> you know? But yeah, you know, I think um, be nice to your moms, everybody. You know, they, they did a lot. <laughs> be nice to your teachers and be nice to your moms. That seems yeah. to be the, the overarching theme. Um, you mentioned that you had a, a lovely childhood, but I know that... All of us have various challenges that you know are labors, Herculean labors, uh, that we have to deal with. Uh, the ones that you've had to deal with, and you're welcome to go into as much detail or not as you like. Do you think that they've made you better? Do you think they've made you worse? 
Uh, are you better off as a result of having gone through them or do you wish that you hadn't? Um, a quote that I read yesterday was, uh, there was a conversation happening between um, Ted Kaczynski and his brother mm-hmm. uh, or something related to that. And uh, his brother, in retrospect, said to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, uh, mm-hmm. who is a mathematician, but I don't like to mention that part. Uh, but Ted Kaczynski underwent these psychological experiments at Harvard when he was a student there and things that were not pleasant, uh, things that certainly would not be passing any IRB or any ethics boards these, these days. Um, and he was asked, well, if, if they were so cruel and so terrible to you, why did you continue? Mm. And the answer was, well, I, w- I wanted to prove to them that they couldn't break me. And the response that the brother gave in an interview was, I remember telling Ted, his brother, that sometimes it's better to be broken than to be hardened. Mm. which struck a chord with me. So, I, I, you know, do you feel that challenges uh, of a certain kind or maybe challenges in general make people better or do they make them indifferent or, I, I don't know, wherever you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, you know, people sometimes look at you and think you've had no challenges, you know. And, oh, you, you're standing up there teaching, you've had easy... Uh, definitely not been the case. I've had a lot in my life, but um, I think, you know, there's been issues with my family. Um, I had a, a brother who had addiction problems um, for a, a large part of my life. Um, and it was a constant struggle. And I think it was really hard to go through it, to watch my parents go through it. But to me, now, you know, so many years removed, I'm, I understand when our students are going through that, you Mm -hmm. know, or at least if they're open about it. Um, or when I see certain signs, you know, I'm not like, okay, that person's just sleeping or, you know, um, I could tell certain things. Um, so I think it's made me see that it, it is a very, um, it's a disease and, um, it's given me a lot of patience and understanding for the families too that go through that. Um, so that's one big challenge, but at the time it was, it was awful, like robbed a lot of my teenage years. Um, and, but one thing that I went through as a young child was, um, a drunk driver hit me in, and I was in a really bad car accident, um, for like, I was in the hospital for like almost two months. So, yeah. And if you see me up close, I have. Um, I had to have reconstructive surgery on my face. My whole bottom lip was removed. It's all fake. Um, And then, you know, a lot of trauma from that because I have head trauma. I have dizzy spells all the time. Um, So I've been a very nervous driver my whole life. And I never really equated it with that. But I've been very um, anxious in a car if somebody else is driving. I get really worried when people want to drink, even if it's like one drink. I think, you know, what are you, what is wrong with you? You know, my head just goes to the worst. Um, so I have a lot of that that's carried over. And I think um, I don't realize that it affected me, but it kind of, you know, made me a little bit more of an anxious person, I think, that 
So th there's been a lot of other things, but those two things, I think if those didn't happen, I might've been a different person because now I don't really see everything. So, you know, you, you, you get a little harder. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really think life is so, Oh, it's so great. You know, you all, I'm always thinking like the worst and I'm not sure if it's from that or from other things that have happened, but yeah, I think it kind of rattles you, you know, and then you want to just, um, have a little bit of control with what you can control. So I feel a little bit more on edge sometimes. So yeah, I think childhood teenage things really affect you. Even if you can have um, two parents that love you, you're, you're going through a different perception than somebody else or reality and it just it changes your view. I don't know if that answered it. It, it does. I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, you do become jaded or hardened, as yeah. you said. Um, but I think it also gives you perspective and the ability to recognize or acknowledge uh, hardships that other people might be going through. Right. Unless you live through them yourself. It's, I find it's hard to walk in other people's shoes unless, you know, you've had those shoes for a while yourself. But, well, I'm it was... I'm 99. I'm sorry? You're going backwards, you said, right? I, I don't know if I'm doing that. I, I'm thinking okay. I might jump by fives just to throw people off that scent. Oh, okay. Uh, or I might just go 99 because it would be the, the, the more reasonable thing to do. <laughs> or I might ping pong and, and say, you know, Nat was 100 and you're number one and then now we keep going back and forth. Um, do me a favor. Mm. Ask your son to pick a number between 1 and 99. Okay. And then let me know what that, that turns out to be through okay, an email. And you'll be that person then. We'll, we'll let fate and, and I forget his name. Starts with an S? S, Stephanos. I knew that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to butcher it. But yes, oh, we'll let Stephanos decide yes. uh, which interview you get to be. Okay. Thank you for including him. Well, thank you very much. I hope thank everyone you, else who's listening enjoy the conversation. Yes. And enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Have a good Sunday. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Helena. And many thanks to her for being so generous with her time. I had originally hoped for a 30-minute conversation, but she was able to give me far more. Thank you, Helena. Next week, we have a conversation with a wonderfully articulate professor from the Boca Raton campus. Here's a little sneak peek. And so you can visually see things that are, that you're able to calculate that are mind-boggling. Like every time you exhale, you breathe out more atoms and there are stars in our galaxy. So you realize there's more in front of your eyes all the time than you would have appreciated. As I requested last week, if you can think of anyone else I should reach out to, please let me know. And thank you, everyone. Thank you for the kind words of encouragement after the first episode, and also for suggestions on how I could improve the podcast. Please keep it coming. Until next time, for another 98 times, take care. <laughs>